Welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of PR Week. We'll guide you through the next 15 minutes. Another really busy week in communications. Lots of both industry issues and wider issues with massive communications impacts. And uh, we're going to touch on a few of those subjects over the, uh, the next 15 minutes, as I said. Okay, so we're going to talk about airline communications. It's been a, a, t- a tough week after the downing of Malaysia Flight 17, MH17, and we'll talk about that. And there was another plane crash just uh, just uh, yesterday in Africa. So uh, we'll talk about you know how airlines need to respond to that and how they're um, communicating about, around various issues around the world in terms of um, passenger information, passenger safety, re- you know, confidence in, in the service. We'll talk about Leslie Duck, who was uh, the head communicator at Walmart, who was number one on our power list um, not so long ago. He's got a new role, we'll find out about that, and we'll find, find out about more changes at Hill & Knowlton. Andy White has stepped down this week and is to leave the agency. He was the North America lead, so uh, we'll find out what's going on there. Uh, we'll talk about Scott Monty, another senior com- comms guy. He was a, a social media guru at Ford. He's got a new role too uh, in the agency sector. And we'll round up the holding company earnings from this week. So I'm joined by Frank Washcook, our uh, news editor. Frank, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Steve. Been a busy week, hasn't it? Uh, always a busy week. Your shift, is, which now starts at six in the morning, is getting longer and longer, isn't yes. it? How are you bearing up under the... You know, no sweat. No problem at all. Stories are there, they've got to be written. Exactly. Yeah. He's a tough soldier and doing a great job, uh, helped by his fantastic team, which includes Diana Bradley, who's our corporate reporter. Diana, how are you? I'm excellent, thank you. Are you having a good week? Yeah, it's great. Can't complain. Very busy. Well, you know, we don't, we don't want you getting bored, you know what I mean? Yeah, thank yeah. you, I appreciate that. But yeah, well, you know, that's, that's my pleasure. <laughs> and on that subject, let's talk about airline communications, because you've been uh, doing a few stories on that. Um, and, and there's lots of issues there, aren't there, um, to the sort of for, literal fallout from the um, Malaysia Airlines crash to um, airspace in Israel and Gaza and you know whether flights are going to be um, coming into that airspace and then the crash in Africa um, the, the most recent um, occurrence so talk us through that and, and some of the communications implications there sure so um, the, the mo- one of the most recent uh, things that happened this week was um, the flight ban to Israel um, and Basically, airlines have been proactively reaching out to customers. That seems to be the main communication strategy um, for Lufthansa and American Airlines. And flight bans like this are nothing new, but this particular ban has been a little more confusing for the public um, as the FAA instigated it for about 36 hours, and that's now been lifted. But some airlines have been making the decision independent of the FAA to continue to suspend flights to Israel, so customers need to know what's going on with their specific airlines. Um, Lufthansa, for instance, made the independent decision on Wednesday um, to continue to suspend flights into Thursday, regardless of the FAA's decision going forward, and to do that, they linked to a press release, there to communicate that, they linked to a press release about the flight ban on their website. 
um, from their Facebook and Twitter pages, and they said they'd continue posting information on their their site and social media channels as the updates occur. Um, they've also been reaching out to affected customers by texting or calling them directly. That seems to be the main way that airlines are communicating in this in a instance regarding a ban. Yeah, air- airlines are in a really, you know, that, that, well, they're one of the industries, um, a lot of them are in the travel and hospitality industry that have to um, act immediately, don't they, with, with customer service and make sure their social channels are all aligned and that they're dealing with general issues like this as well as individual issues that passengers might be dealing with. Strangely and, for, sorry, I'm yeah, no, Strangely no. for um, US Airways and American Airlines didn't seem to take to social media during the ban. Uh, so I don't know what that says. Uh, maybe they're, that's... Well, it's interesting. Um, Singapore Airlines came out with a statement after the crash of Malaysia Air- Airlines and said, we don't fly over the Ukrainian airspace, which, you know, is didn't go down very well because obviously... Um, you have to be sensitive to the fact that 300 people have just died and, they're on a, and, and they were trying to I don't think they were trying to score points but it was an ill-advised tweet you know, and the, that certainly didn't do them any good reputation wise so it, you've got to be really careful about how you frame your communications but also keep your customers in the loop on what's happening, you know, it's an absolutely horrific incident there and you know, clearly if there are shells flying back and forth in Gaza and uh, Israel, then that, that, that in the current climate is not necessarily a, a healthy environment for planes to be flying around. So it's, a, it's, it's a very um, you know, volatile situation at the moment. And, and you know, it's pointed out yesterday, wasn't it, that when the bodies were returned to the Netherlands, 200 people from the Netherlands died on that flight. That that as a disaster, if you take it as a proportion of the population, is a bigger disaster for the Netherlands than 9/11 was for America. You know, it's the equivalent of 6,000 Americans if you take it as a proportion of population. So, it's a terrible tragedy for the for the Dutch and and the Netherlands. And at the moment, they're concentrating on getting their citizens' bodies back. I'm sure that's going to change their policies and their attitudes towards Russia, you know, moving forward, which has traditionally been a bit of a, an ally. And actually, we've seen some stories about the fact that President Putin's daughter lives in, in the Netherlands, and um, she was, you know, she's in a difficult position there because there were people in the Netherlands asking, you know, shouting that she should, she should be sent home. But it's nothing to do with her, and uh, she's... Uh, one individual in a very difficult situation. So it's such a volatile time where communications of all types are a priority and you've got to really be careful about how you handle it, either on social or on your websites or generally. So definitely something that we'll return to and, and the airlines have to be very cognizant of these things and, and really be thinking carefully about their comm strategy. So uh, yeah, it, it, interesting communications challenge but in very difficult circumstances. Mm-hmm. Frank, uh, moving to sort of people moves and uh, developments this week, Leslie Dack is uh, someone we know very well at PR Week, um, who was the lead communicator at Walmart. Prior to that, he was at Edelman. Before that, he was in politics uh, as a communicator. He's got a new role. Tell us about that and, uh, you know, how it came about. That's right. He does. He has moved over to become a senior counselor 
at uh, the Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, the greater context around this is that HHS is a department. Their reputation has taken a gigantic hit in the past year because of how botched the rollout of the healthcare.gov site was, as well as a number of the uh, state websites that were associated with, um, with helping people get health insurance uh, through the Affordable Care Act. Uh, so quite a reputation struggle for them over the past year year and a half even. Uh, so he has stepped into that role. Um, it's important to note that the, um, the current Secretary of Health and Human Services used to report directly to him uh, at Walmart, used to run the Walmart Association uh, as the director uh, of its uh, women's empowerment initiatives and things like that. It's also interesting in that uh, DACA also has a, a history in politics. I think in PR world, people tend to associate him with Walmart first and foremost, and then maybe Edelman because he had worked there previously. Um, but he had also worked for John Kerry's 2004 presidential campaign. Uh, he had worked with the folks in the Clinton White House a bit uh, a few years before that. So uh, he definitely has an understanding of both the political aspects of the job as well as running a big, diverse organization that has to try to accomplish a lot. That's very true. Lots of senior communicators start their careers in political communications, don't right, they? Right. Working with politicians or working in that environment. And a lot of those skills come in really useful there later on when they're working with brands and corporations and um, a lot of the campaigning skills, for example, uh, come over and are, are increasingly being used, especially in this day's age of social media. So, yeah, an interesting return there and an interesting... Uh, it's, it's all about contacts as well and who you know and, and who you've worked with in the past and who you feel confident with. So um, a slight reversal of roles there that he's now working for someone who used to um, report to him, but it's an advisory role, isn't it? It's not like it a full-time job. And, and it's also worth noting that um, he had a lot of, there were a lot of politi political implications to his work at Walmart. He was given a lot of credit for Walmart's work on the Let's Move initiative with Michelle Obama, for instance. Um, and things of that nature. That's true. So yeah. he has, uh, he's definitely straddled both of those lines during his Sure, it's good so to have him back. People good to have him back um, in the industry. And uh, another, uh, the person who replaced uh, Leslie Duck was Dan Bartlett, who, uh, That's right. another former government political um, operator. And of course, Dan was replaced at Hill and Knowlton, where he moved from, by Andy White. And so we got right. some news there this week. Right. So Andy is stepping down as the U.S. president and CEO of Hill and Knowlton Strategies. Uh, he is going to be replaced somewhat indirectly by Mike Coates. Now, he's currently the chairman and CEO of Hill and Knowlton in Canada. And he's going to take a slightly different role as CEO of the Americas. So sort of merging a few different roles uh, into his new role, that is part of a promotion, if I could explain that in a complicated <laughs> way. <laughs> That's as clear as mud, Frank. Andy White's last day at Hill and Knowlton is going to be August 1st. Uh, so, yeah, interesting move by H&K there to merge a few roles into one. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been a tough, I think it's fair to say it's been a tough two or three years for Hillary Nelson, um, both on the business front and on the personnel front. Um, Andy's made a decision to leave after just 12 months in that role. Mm -hmm. He was, he's been at the, the firm for about six years, I believe. 
and clearly I doubt whether I mean I remember interviewing Andy on video it's on our website about a year ago and you know asking him where would you want to be if we were chatting in 12 months and unfortunately we're not going to be chatting because right. he's leaving and I'm sure that wasn't how he envisaged it rolling out and bringing in Mike Coates very much a safe pair of hands a 30 year veteran mm-hmm. they've lost a number of big accounts this year especially in the tech space CA Technologies Qualcomm and Salesforce which um, must have added up to a few million dollars in, in terms of billings they've you know they lost Dan Bartlett to Walmart last year that, that's quite fairly understandable yeah. um, in that that's the big, one of the biggest jobs in, um, in PR and communications but still not someone you'd want to lose and then before that they had problems with Ken Luce and Jody Venturoni with the court case with Weber Shandwick in right. t- terms of um, taking documents or what have you and enticing people over to work for, the, for Hill and Knowlton so a troubled few years for, for Hill and Knowlton and Jack Martin and as we know the WPP firms are not growing, certainly not growing at the, at the rate of some of the other firms. So, yeah, some challenges there. Um, Definitely are, and I think that it's fair to say that there's a lot of second-guessing around the industry about uh, the merging together of the former public strategies and the former Hill and Knowlton into one group. Yeah, and whether that was a wise move, but right. um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that pans out. Another people move, a very high-profile one, Diana, was Scott Monty, who used to be social media guru at Ford and sort of left recently. He's actually now turned up in PR agency land at um, a slightly, another example of uh, friends and contacts, I think, in that um, Scott was uh, quite friendly with um, Todd Deferin, who was, who's uh, the main, one of the main players at Shift. But so, uh, yeah, talk us through that. Sure. So he, um, Scott Monty joined Shift Communications in the newly created role of EVP of Strategy on Monday. He'll work remotely from Detroit uh, to collaborate with the firm's offices in Boston, New York, and San Francisco. And he'll report to Shift President Amy Lyons. He'll work on new business development, offer strategic counsel to clients, and help the firm as it continues to define its services and look for partnership opportunities with outside organizations. Um, He'll also be a public face for Shift at events and through speaking engagements. And they basically created this role for him um, so he would keep their uh, growth going. They, they grew 30.8% in revenue last year, up from $14.2 million in 2012. Um, and yeah, basically he left his role at Ford uh, as global digital communications leader in May, and Angie Kozleski, previously Ford's global marketing, sales, and service communications manager immediately assumed his responsibilities with the new title of global marketing and digital communications manager. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? The sort of service communications, because the having customer service allied and integrated with social is very important. It's certainly with the airline example earlier, and you, you've got to have that these days. But yeah, interesting move. Not, not one that I predicted or anyone else particularly, I don't think. Maybe uh, Scott wanted a change of pace, and uh, quite interesting that a couple of the gurus, Scott Monty and John Bell, have kind of left. You know, John Bell was associated with Ogilvy and social at Ogilvy and setting that, and he's now moved on to the client side. And Scott's gone the other way; he's gone from the client side to the agency side. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Frank? I think there's a lot less use of the term guru than there used to be. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago there were like very specific people who were gurus. 
and social media. Many people call people. you a guru, Frank. How do yeah, you respond be, to that? You'd be terribly mistaken. I don't, <laughs> think I, uh, don't think I have the personality for that exactly. But um, yeah, there were you know a number of industry people who were these great yeah, yeah. experts, thought leaders in social media, and now it seems like everybody has to be in their own way. So, Becoming more table stakes and right. a, a must-have rather than a nice-to-have, so maybe, yeah, these, these folks are moving on, they're evolving their careers as well, so yeah, interesting stuff. Finally, let's. Uh, we talked about company earnings earlier and WPP's performance, they won't be reporting Q2 for some time yet, mm-hmm. they usually lag the others, but some uh, have, um, Omnicom has reported IPG, I think we already spoke about, and Publicis. Interesting to see Omnicom and Publicis reporting, given the uh, abortive merger between the two. So what uh, came out of that, and how, how are those two holding companies doing? Well, they went in different directions uh, in this quarter. Um, you know, uh, the CEO of Publicis Group, Maurice Levy, said uh, that the growth for Publicis in the first half was, quote, not satisfactory by our standards. Um, it had a 0.2% increase uh, in the first half. And, and that's across the board, isn't yes, it? Because they, they, do they don't break out they PR. They do not break out PR. Um, so definitely flat revenue growth for Publicis in the first half. Now, if you look at Omnicom, it's a different story. Their PR revenue was at 4.1% organically uh, in the second quarter of the year. PR is up 2.7% organically for the first half. But if you look at Omnicom overall as a holding company, including the ad agencies and the other marketing firms, the revenue is up 5.8% organically in the second quarter. So a much more positive. Um, more positive. Um, not as positive as IPG, um, no. but better than last year's performance, I believe, year on year. And um, right. did they talk about costs associated with the merger? Yeah, the costs associated with the merger uh, is essentially has taken a lot of money away from shareholders in terms of net income. But if you look specifically at Q2, you're talking about a 1.8 million pre-tax charge uh, related to. So this is who Omnicom or yeah, this is Omnicom yeah. for the collapsed merger with Publicis. Um, they said that the total impact of merger-related costs on net income available to shareholders just for the quarter was $9.2 million. Um, for the first six months of the year, it would be $2.6 million with that total effect on net income. Um, Publicis was not as uh, forthcoming with what sort of financial effects the dropout of the merger had on it as a holding company, um, but definitely millions of dollars in impact from the Omnicom side. Yeah, I think it's there's a, a, a cost there in terms of financials, but there's the opportunity cost as well, isn't there, in the time and the senior resource that was taken up with it, the people who left because they thought that their, you know, their talent prospects were not going to be so good in the new organisation. So there was a, a, a fixed financial cost, but also the opportunity cost. And, right. and the ability to almost, you're standing still while this goes on. You can't grow and you can't develop your business. And Levy actually said that in their uh, earnings statement, or I'm sorry, on a phone call, on a conference call, essentially said that Publicis underestimated the amount of time they were going to have to spend uh, on the merger. Uh, uh, not sure interesting why. Interesting comment. <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah. Uh, 
surely a big merger like that, the biggest in advertising history, was going to take up some time. So that's a slightly confusing comment. But anyway, all right, thanks, Frank. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much all we've got time for. We've got our conference coming up, Good Business, Better Business, on the 16th of September in New York City. We've got the best lineup of speakers I think we've ever gathered with CEOs, CMOs, and high-profile CCOs, global CCOs. So do check the um, agenda out online and get your uh, get your bookings in. I think there's a, a flash sale on at the moment, so if you uh, do it over the next day or so, you may get a little discount. But uh, tickets going fast for that. And um, awards, uh, PR Week awards, open for entries. So hope you're working on those and moving towards uh, getting your best work in. But uh, that's all we've got time for at the moment. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. <laughs>